If you have a Bible, turn with me. We're going to look at the middle, uh, towards the middle of your Bible, uh, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Last week we started our series uh, on the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a book about wisdom. Uh, what it is wisdom? We defined it last week as competence in regards to the complexities of life. Wisdom is skill at living or doing life well. For example, you might want to help a homeless family get out of poverty. But if you do not have wisdom, in other words, if you don't know the complexities and the realities of how homeless people work, well, chances are you will end up doing more harm than good. Wisdom is the ability to know the right thing to do in the 80% of life where there are no moral rules that apply. Wisdom is skill at living. Proverbs, you're going to see, you're going to set, set this up this morning, is, is divided into two, basically two halves, two main sections. Um, chapters 1 through 9 makes up one section, and chapters 10 through 31 make up the second section. And in chapter 10, we'll get a little bit of it now, Uh, in these early chapters, but chapter 10 really starts what we typically think and traditionally think uh, as Proverbs, the little wise sayings. That makes up all of 10 through 31. And in the first nine chapters, and you'll see this if you skim through your Bibles, and at the beginning of every chapter almost, you'll see this, my son. And so the first nine chapters are lectures on wisdom that a father gives to his son, or or, or lessons or lectures on wisdom. And so this morning, we're going to continue to lay the foundation for wisdom. Uh, finding out what we need in order to succeed in the school of godly wisdom. So follow along with me as I read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. This is God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her, those who hold, fat, 
who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord is wisdom, by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit to help us uh, with this passage this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask for your help uh, this morning. Uh, we need it. You tell us that, you, that we can't understand fully your word unless you take uh, the word by your spirit and make it clear and apply it to our hearts. And so we ask you to do that. Would you take this passage and encourage us, but also challenge us, teach us, uh, and show us the good news of the gospel that uh, Jesus is the wisdom of God, uh, and he is the way, truly the way to wisdom. Show us that this morning. Encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Bible often talks about life as being a pathway, life as being a path that you walk. And we see that in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says there are two paths that you can walk. You can go down the narrow path. And you can live and have life, or you can go down the broad path and it leads to heartache and destruction. Well, getting wisdom is like that. It's like walking a path. Look at verse 6. The Father says, to get wisdom, you must walk a path. And if you walk that path, your way will be straight. And the reason why I begin that way is because I think it's helpful for us because that's not the way we think about life, typically. We, we want wisdom, and we think of wisdom just like we think of every, everything else. We get wisdom like we get our Starbucks in the morning. Before you leave from home, you place your mobile order, and on your way to work, you stop by the local Starbucks, and it's waiting for you, and all you do is walk in the door of that Starbucks, and boom, you get your Starbucks cup of coffee. We think of wisdom that way oftentimes, that it's something that we can order from our phone, if you will, and simply walk in and pick up wisdom. And instantly, we are wise. Why? Because we are a culture of quick fixes and techniques. If you don't believe me, walk into a local bookstore. And look at what you find. You want to know what sells? Five steps to a better friend, to being a better friend, or five steps to a better marriage, or five steps to get really get parenting results, or eat these certain foods for 21 days. You know the deal. <laughs> and you are healthy and you feel better. The Bible says wisdom's not like that, that wisdom is a path that it's slow and steady. It's not a mobile order that you get instantly. But wisdom is something that happens over long periods of time. It is a process. It is something uh, uh, to which there are no shortcuts. Wisdom involves suffering. It involves experiences, life experiences. It involves failures. That's why we think about people and we, that we know who are wise and they typically have gray hair. They're older. Why? Well, because they've lived longer, and they've walked the path of wisdom longer. So this morning, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, through this passage, what it looks like uh, 
for us to walk the path of wisdom? What does it look like to walk the path of wisdom? How do we do it? Well, we need to remind ourselves constantly of three things if we're going to walk the path of wisdom. Number one, we've got to always remember the benefits and the blessings of wisdom. Secondly, the second heading is we've got to guard our hearts constantly. And thirdly, we've got to always bask in God's love and faithfulness. Look, look at those things this morning together. Look at number one. We've got to remember the benefits and blessings of wisdom. I hope you picked up on it, and I'm not going to cover all the verses, but there are a lot of them. But you see a theme through this section that I read that wisdom leads to quality of life and quantity of life. Verse 2. For the length of days and years and peace will be added to you. Verse 4. If you, uh, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 6. Find it and your path will be straight. Skip down to verse 16. Long life, riches, honor. Verse 17. Pleasantness, peace. Very clear that wisdom brings benefits and blessings to a, person, to a person's life. That needs some explaining, and so let's work this out together. Look at verse, let me try to explain. Look at verse 19 and 20. It's really, those are an amazing couple of verses, but we learned that the wisdom of God is woven through the very fabric of creation. And we know this. Uh, we can think of a thousand examples of this. Just If we ever stop, and we do from time to time, but we need to do it more, stop and think about the world and about the way the world works, and a way the human body works. But you think about the world, and we see it in so many ways in the seasons. We see it in the fact that God gives us this thing called the weather and rain to come down so that crops grow, so that we have food to eat. And again, we could think of countless other examples. But wisdom being woven into the fabric of creation also means that you and I are creation. Human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation, and so God has designed us with wisdom. To say it another way, we are most fully alive as human beings when we live according to God's wisdom, the wisdom of his word. To put it another way, we are most fully alive when we live according to our design. And when we live according to our design, how God's created us, Proverbs chapter 3, life tends to go well for you. You tend to have a longer and richer life. Let me illustrate it this way to drive it home some more. Uh, Think about your car. And when you get a car, you get something from the car's creator called an owner manual. And if you look through and thumb through that owner's manual, you'll find all sorts of things on how to take care of the way the car is designed. You'll, it, what kind of gas it takes. Uh, how often you should change the oil. And if you ignore those things written by the car's creator, you violate the design of the car and what happens to the car. It doesn't last very long. You end up ruining the car. The consequences will be natural. Well, the wisdom of God is that way. The wisdom of God is your soul's owner manual. And you can listen to it and try to do what it says and follow God the way you have been designed to do. 
And if you do that, you will flourish and thrive in life. If you don't do that and violate the owner manual of God's wisdom, then you will oftentimes um, ruin your life. Uh, Your life will be very hard, and it will often lead to misery and destruction. It's just the natural design of the way the world works. And we know this, don't we? Let's let's think of some examples. Think about uh, just this whole dynamic of health. You eat bad food all of your life and never exercise? Chances are, not always, but there's a high probability that you will have high blood pressure, and your health will be bad, and maybe even you experience a shorter life. The opposite is also true. Eat better, exercise, you tend to be healthier, and you tend to feel better socially. If you're a bitter person, unforgiving, always holding a grudge, hard to get along with, always overly critical, well, chances are you don't have many friends. Chances are you hop around from one friend group to the next. But the opposite is also true, right? Uh, If you're easy to get along with, forgiving, gracious, kind, go out of your way to love people and love the people that you're in relationship with, friendships tend to go well for you and tend to come easily for you. Now we need to stop, don't we? Let me stop here because I think this is important to understand a book like Proverbs. To make this clear, we've got to understand something about a book like Proverbs. It's not like every place else in Scripture. Proverbs are not promises. They are observations about the way the world tends to work. You get that? Uh, it's, It's about the way the world typically intends to work. They are not guarantees. And if you take Proverbs, and some of, I know people all throughout the years have taken Proverbs as guarantees, and they've been very confused about life, given up on the faith, and hated God most of the time they've walked with him because they've missed that one little thing. They've taken these as guarantees and promises. They're not. That's really important. Proverbs, again, tends, it tends to be the way the world works if you live a certain way. We've got to take the full account of Scripture in, and this is where we bring in books like Ecclesiastes and books like Job. Because they give us the exceptions. And if we want to be a wise person, we have to take all those perspectives into account. But here, if you want to follow God, if you follow God and live wisely, Proverbs says things will tend to go well for you, but not always. Let me try to give you an an illustration. A friend of mine who was a member of a church in a downtown city, uh, and in in this church, they had lots of homeless people around, Uh, Their church, that's where they tended to hang out. And so their small group on one particular Saturday was going to go and serve breakfast to these homeless people. Good thing, right? Very good thing. Uh, And so my friend wakes up early on Saturday morning. He has uh, time in the Word and prayer. Good thing, right? Very good. He would tell you his motives were as pure as they could possibly be. And he was doing a good thing. And so he gets in his car. It was his responsibility to get breakfast. So he stops at the local Hardee's in order to buy biscuits for everyone. Good thing. And then as he's getting out of his car, he notices coming out of the Hardee's an older couple, couple and the wife was on a walker. And so he's thinking, I need to serve these people. 
I'm going to open the door. And so he kind of walks briskly, uh, very quickly up to the door and holds it as these as this older couple is walking out and this woman in her walker and as he thinks they're past him and so he kind of moves in and tries to walk in himself totally innocent trying to do the right thing and he accidentally bumps the gentleman and bumps him into his wife on the walker and he cusses him up one side and down the other how insensitive was he What's the point? He, my friend, tried to do everything right. He did his very best. He had the best motives he could possibly have. He had the best intentions, and it wasn't enough. Things still didn't go as he had planned. And the point is that sometimes we can do our very best and it not be enough. We know that, don't we? You can raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You can do your very best. You can pray with them every night of their life and have devotions at the dinner table every night, and yet your children want nothing to do with Jesus. Or you can uh, eat perfectly and exercise your brains out during the week, and then you go in for a physical at the age of 50 and realize you're about to have a heart attack, and your arteries are clogged, and you need help. Or you can uh, say something, and you know what this is like in your relationships. You say something which you think is, you say perfectly and with so much humility and grace, and you couldn't have said it any better, and yet the other person explodes at you in anger. It's not necessarily that you did something wrong. It's not that God is not faithful. It's that we live in a broken, fallen world. And so what do you do? Well, that's when you don't look at Proverbs, you go to the Psalms, and you lament, and you cry out to God, and lament that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so to summarize, to bring us back, these are not guarantees, but they tell us in general, if we are to live according to wisdom, we can anticipate a quality and quantity of life. And that's why I look at verses 14 and 15, wisdom's better than gold better than silver, and we need to do all we can to get it. If you're going to walk the path of wisdom for a lifetime, you must be convinced of the benefits of doing so and the blessings of doing so. Secondly, guard your heart. Look at verses 1, 3, and 5. 1, 3, and 5, and you see a word repeated there. That should get our attention. This has been really... um, blown me away in some ways. You know, you think of Proverbs, and my biggest fear is that I'm going to make this moralism, this series, because Proverbs is a lot about your behaviors, but Proverbs also says a whole lot about the heart. Verses 3, 1, 3, and 5. You'll see it. uh, The Proverbs gets the fact that you've got to focus first and foremost on the heart, Because the heart is what drives the behavior. And we tend to focus most of all on the behavior and get the heart involved later. The Bible never talks that way. Why is the heart so important? Because the heart, the Bible says, is the control center for a human being. And so whatever grips your heart and whatever your heart really loves is what controls your behavior and indicates your decisions. 
Think about everything we said from point one. And so think about your heart. You were made in such a way as a human being that your heart would first and foremost worship God alone, that he was the only one that would take up space in your heart. And out of that flows wisdom. And when something else becomes the center of your heart and the love of your life, then we tend to make very foolish and unwise decisions. Let's think about some examples of that. If relationships and getting someone to love you is at the center of your heart in life, then you will tend to make very foolish decisions in terms of dating and marriage. On the one hand, you will tend to be overly picky, looking for perfection, and you'll never find it. Or your standards on the other side will be so low because you'll be so desperate to find love that they'll be so low that you will actually become codependent on the other person. And so you're either overly picky or you smother people. And in the end, you see this? You don't get what your heart is after. You don't get what you want. Why? Because something else is driving your heart instead of God. Think about parenting. If your children are the center of your life, and they're the thing that you're building your life on, you will either overcorrect your children and over-discipline them, or you will under-parent and under-correct them and want to be their best friend and never do anything. And in both of those ways, you fall off and you don't ultimately get what you want from your children. Success and recognition, if that's the main drive in your life, then you will sacrifice emotional health, physical health, and spiritual health. You choose, think about it, you choose work over family and fun, over friendships, and over church, and what ends up happening? You don't get what you want. It undermines what you are actually after because you end up burning out and not getting the success you're after. If anything other than God is the main love of your heart, the Bible says you'll be a fool. You'll be a fool. And you'll make foolish decisions because the heart is the control center. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, you should write this down. This is why the proverb says things like this, because the heart is so important. Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, because from it flows the wellsprings of life. Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. Let's work this out. Let your heart keep my commandments. And what's interesting is the word keep there is the same word that's used in Proverbs 4, verse 23. It's actually the word for guard. And the image is guarding your heart from robbers and thieves. I think that's fascinating. Because if the heart is your control center and the main thing that's driving your behavior, we need, this is saying you need to cultivate a security system in your heart. You think about the security systems that we have now. You know, you've got the, in your doorbell and all around your property, and you've got the Allstate commercials, which I love the one that God's going, what? Or whatever he says. Have you seen this? Okay. Uh, So, and what happens is if there's suspicious activity, what does it do? Well, it sends an alert to your phone. And what this is saying here, Proverbs is saying we need to have our hearts so programmed and guarded like that, that that the alert doesn't go to our phone, the alert goes off inside of us in our hearts. And so then the question is, what are we trying to guard? Well, let's look at two things in this passage. What is your heart trying to actually guard and keep out? 
Well, it's trying to guard God's word in your heart. Look at verse 1. Don't forget my teachings and my commandments. Don't forget my teachings and commandments. So we need to guard that inside our soul and our hearts. Think about so much of the world outside of these doors, from the workplace to the classroom, wherever your schools, wherever it is that you are interacting with other people, and the, the media pushes against the truth of God's word. And this is saying one of the greatest dangers is that we forget what is true. And so we need to guard truth in our hearts with our lives and be alert. And it's so subtle, isn't it? It's very subtle. Look at verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with not some of your heart, all of your heart. Verse 6, in all your ways... Acknowledge him and lean not on your own understanding. You see, it's subtle, isn't it? Ever so slightly, when we enter into our work week, we start to lean into our own understanding in our own ways. Ever so slightly, we lean on our own understanding. Ever so slightly, our heart, we start giving some of our heart to God instead of all of our heart. And it shows up when we say things like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with my finances, but I'm not going to trust you with parenting or my work. Or God, I'm going to trust you with my relationships and my marriage and things at school, but I'm not going to trust you with my sexuality. Are the alarms going off in your heart this morning? We are to program our hearts so that the minute something starts creeping in from the outside that's pushing against God's truth in our life, The alert should go off, and we should take action. What's the second thing? Well, very briefly, because I'm going to talk about it in the last point. We've got to guard in our hearts God's love for us. Look at verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but write them where? Write them on your heart. We're going to work this out, but this is not talking about your love and faithfulness. Thank goodness. This is talking about God's love and faithfulness towards you. Friends, fools spend their entire lives going from one thing to the next trying to be loved. Getting someone to love them. Wise people, on the other hand, move around in the world knowing that they're already loved. And so what this means is that you must sound the alarm in your heart anytime you experience something like fear, anxiety, guilt, and shame. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but they are alarms. And when you start to feel fear, anxiety, guilt, and shame coming up into your heart, you should start, the alarm should go off, and you should start asking. I'm believing and start saying to yourself, I'm believing a lie somewhere. God's holding out on me. I'm starting to believe that, that God's holding out on me, that God is against me, that he doesn't love me. And it manifests itself in our lives in totally different ways. You can't trust God because you don't believe he really loves you. Guard God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards you with your life. And you will be a wise person. And if you're going to walk the path of wisdom for a lifetime, that's something that we have to do Every single day. That leads to the next point, the last point. We've got to bask in God's love and faithfulness if we're going to walk the path of wisdom. 
So what's at the center of walking the path of wisdom? We'll look at the very beginning of this passage, verse 3. This is where the father starts with his son. He says, bind God's love and faithfulness around your neck. And so it has to be the center of following God on the path of wisdom. And so the question, as I asked earlier, whose love and faithfulness is it, yours or God's? It's God's. It's not talking about ours. How do we know? Well, the words steadfast love and faithfulness show up in other places of the Bible, and they always describe who? Us or God? They always describe the character of God. Think about Exodus, that popular passage or well-known passage, Exodus 34, 6, and 7. God reveals himself to Moses, and he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We also know it's talking about God's love because it's the word hesed. And that's a really important word in the Old Testament. Steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed that is a very rich word that deals with God's covenant love towards his people. The fact that God has bound himself to his people and he will never leave or forsake them. It's what... Uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, you've heard me say this, but I love it. It's God's never-ending, always and forever, never giving up, unbreakable, never stopping love. That is of God for his children, for us. That's what the son or the father is saying to the son. You can't, you got to guard that with your life. You got to bind that around your neck. And so what does that mean for us? Well, we live in post the New Testament. We don't live in the Old Testament. We live this side of the cross, and so we see things a little bit differently. And here's what I mean. This passage, you see it start to point, in verses 19 and 20, you see it start to point um, to Jesus. Verses 19 and 20, the wisdom of God was right there when the world was created. Who did we say the wisdom of God was last week? It's Jesus. And then we get to John chapter 1, and John says, in the beginning was the Word. And that's Jesus. And the Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he was there in the beginning, and all things were created through him. John is talking, isn't that amazing? John was talking about Jesus, the wisdom of God. And Jesus is the fullest expression of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. How is he the fullest, the fullest expression of that? Verse 18. I've got to share this. And then we'll close. Because this is probably the thing that stood out to me the most this week. Um, this, so I'll, I'll share it with you. Verse 18. Listen to this. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of it. And those who hold her fast are called blessed. Where have you heard the tree of life before? The garden. In Genesis. And the tree of life, remember, it was, uh, it was in Eden. And Eden was the place where all things, were, all things were right in the world. And everything was just as it was meant to be. And then the tree of life also is somewhere else in the Bible. It's at the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And the tree of life shows up in the new heavens and new earth 
when all things are being made new. And I think that's really amazing because what that is saying is that through contact with wisdom, with Jesus, that you can have contact with the tree of life. And so how do we have contact with the tree of life? Well, we've got to remember our original parents, um, they got kicked out of the garden. And they um, uh, no longer were connected to the tree of life. And they were kicked out of the garden. And so in some ways, the entire Old Testament is is asking and begging this question, who will get us back to the tree of life? And the New Testament comes and tells us Jesus will get us back. How will Jesus get us back? Through the tree of death. Through the tree of death. Remember Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And so God's steadfast love and faithfulness, you know what he does? He takes on flesh and he dies the death on a tree that you and I deserve and takes the penalty for our sin. And then he gives us his, we're covenant breakers. And God takes the penalty upon himself and then he gives us his perfect record of righteousness as if we had obeyed the covenant perfectly. He became the curse in order to give fools like us wisdom and grace to taste the tree of life that had been lost. And it's only as you and I, the only way we enjoy the tree of life is if we believe through faith and the one who hung on the tree of death. You see, the ultimate expression of God's steadfast love is that. It's Jesus himself. It's the good news of the gospel. And that is why the Father is saying, that's what you've got to keep front and center. That's what you've got to bind around your neck. And if you want wisdom, you've got to bind God's love and faithfulness around your neck. And God has been really gracious to us. Because he gives us things like this every Sunday morning. He gives us baptisms that we typically want to say, man, we're just running time here. Or he gives us things like the, the table. And we do it every week at our church. Again, not to make the, the service longer. Or not because of tradition's sake. Why do we do the means of grace every single week? Think about the means of grace in your private time in God's word and through worship. What do all those things point us to? Steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. And we take hold of those things every single week in our church, not because that's what good people do, but because they remind us of the gospel. And because God knows we quickly forget, don't we? His steadfast love and faithfulness. So remember that this morning as we come to this table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness towards us, that you never give up on us. Uh, Forgive us for doubting and forgetting your love, forgetting your faithfulness towards us. I pray that you would send your spirit to enable us to trust in the ways that you've designed us, to trust in the benefits and blessings of wisdom, And also, through your Spirit, would you help us to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts against things that want to steal our joy 
and steal your love and faithfulness away from us. Make us wise people. In Jesus' name, amen.